Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. The Friday edition. We're recording this on a Thursday night, but this episode and all future college basketball shows will pop up in your feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts on the Friday edition of this very podcast. College basketball along with Go Big Orange Friday popping in right now. That will follow right here with young Kim Palm himself, the Tennessee basketball connoisseur. Stats by Will. Will, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well today. It's a nice Thursday. We're back from vacation. The month of October is upon us. Basketball season grows closer day by day. We feel pretty good right now. Yeah, I would just prefer that the weather would would go down in the temp department. Like it was beautiful okay. on my walk today. Um, and Knoxville is just a beautiful area in general in East Tennessee as a whole. But man, I don't know. It's just it's so weird that it's 80 degrees and it the the leaves are falling and everything. I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of wearing shorts and the t-shirts. I'm ready to ready for cozy season and we're not not quite there yet, unfortunately, well. I know that's that uh, you're talking to the right person. <laughs> I cannot stand this 81 degree stuff. Uh, I I need I've got my official fall outfit is the same every year. A hoodie and shorts to where it's like, like you go outside and you're a little cool but you're not all that cold where it's like, you know, 60 or whatever. That's perfect. Perfect. I need that weather to get here. 81 is a little extreme for October for me. Oh, it's not a little. It's extremely extreme. And like, we're supposed to be going to pumpkin patches and haunted houses and celebrating the fall. But uh, no, it it just feels weird with uh, this little heat. But it looks like it's going to cool off this weekend. And that concludes our Knoxville weather hour on this very podcast. Will, uh, how was your vacation? Did you go to Charleston? I think I saw. It was was Charleston. It was really fun. Uh, I know, like, I guess, I don't know if Charleston's kind of got the hype it deserves at this point. I think it probably has because people listen as the best city in the South or whatever. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I just love going there, man. It's so nice. I'm jealous of people who get to eat that food every day. I mean, just a really wonderful place to visit. What was the best thing you ate? Uh, there's this sort of like, I'll go two things. One is more of a fine dining deal. It's called mm-hmm. 82 Queen. And I had some awesome jambalaya there uh, and fried green tomatoes as well. Ooh. And then there's this place called Lewis Barbecue, which I think is Texas-based. I mm-hmm. would have to Google to confirm that. Uh, but it is the probably the second best barbecue east of Texas that I have had. Number one is still Fox Bros in Atlanta. Oh, yes. Fox Bros is – I mean, dead-end barbecue is it's not too bad here in Knox and uh... – Sweet peas is also pretty solid, pretty solid. But yeah, Fox Bros is the king until, uh, I guess, unless otherwise noted. Um, yeah, no, I miss Fox Bros. Let's not talk about great Atlanta food because I don't uh, have access to that anymore. So let's not go down that rabbit hole. Um, but we are going to talk college basketball on this very program. Don't forget, folks, you can follow Will on Twitter.com by going to Stats by Will. Uh, go check out his website, StatsByWill.com all of his analysis there and also read a series on tennessee basketball you can do that eight-part series how many are up five is it five at this point or six five and then i think by the time this podcast will be out the sixth one will be up okay so we're nearing the um but i've been really pleased with the feedback so far people seem to really like it which is very kind of them uh but i'm really ready to stop writing about (laughs) the past and start writing about the present and future <laughs> absolutely and i mean hey we got open practices we got kennedy chandler taking long range twos in practice today so rick barnes basketball it will be here uh-huh. before you know it um also make sure you go check out chasemonspodcast.com subscribe to the newsletter at sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com email us if you have a college basketball question you would like will or myself to talk about on the friday show make sure that you email us at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com and also leave us a five-star rating and a review on apple Podcasts if you are an apple podcast listener will let's start Notre Dame, you're a big Mike Bray guy. Uh, it, it's been noted on this very program that you're you're a big Mike Bray guy, and they land a big recruit in Starling. What do you what do you make of uh, this recruit, and did it surprise you? 
Yeah, I would say it did. I mean, I know the crystal balls were in Notre Dame's favor, mm. which is that's a pretty good you know indicator that something is going on there. And so uh, I don't know how exactly this came about, but it's the highest rated prospect they've gotten since 2013, mm-hmm. number 33 overall in America. So that's not like, you know, not typically your Kentucky or Duke level guy, but the fact they beat out Duke, Maryland and Syracuse for his services, I would say is a very good sign. Um, some seem convinced he's a first rounder and a one and done. I need a little more convincing myself, but I wouldn't be shocked if he's a first round pick one day. What do you I, like I about him? Sort of. Uh, I mean, he's a fantastic scorer. Like, so the, the thing that's going to be nice for him, maybe not as nice for Notre Dame. Um, all of their top six players run out of eligibility after the season. Mm. So that's a lot of scoring you got to replace. This guy is a score first guard, fantastic shooter from all over the court, fantastic scorer. I mean, given the dearth they will have in scoring that he has to help replace, he really could potentially average 20 a night, like his freshman season. And so he could be the star on what kind of looks like an otherwise unnotable Notre Dame team, barring some transfer portal magic, but... I think that it's a good sign for Notre Dame to be getting these guys again because Bray was getting them a little bit in the early 2010s, but it sort of petered out somewhat. Um, And, you know, you can overcome middling recruiting in college basketball, of course. I think of the the two main sports, football or basketball, a lot easier to overcome less than exciting recruiting, you know. Um, but I, I think getting one of these recruits is a good sign for them. I think it shows, like, Bray isn't really done there. Uh, I do – it is kind of funny that I've sort of become the Mike Bray defender because mm-hmm. uh, it's not like his results have been great lately. But um, this is a positive trend. I mean, maybe you need another one of these types of recruits, like another top 50 guy to make it stick. But just getting one is a step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, you it dates back to your Luke Herringoti days, right? Like you were you were just grinding that tape back in the day. You were you were all in. <laughs> I, I did have to sweat out my uh, Kentucky pick over them in the Elite Eight that one year. But, mm. but that was okay. <laughs> what a what an athlete, Miss Herringoti. What a what an athlete. He is thirty three now. Thirty three. My God, <laughs> we're getting old, man. Um. Well, let's also talk about uh. The other SEC program that uh, got a big, big addition in Mr. Phillips. Uh, again, we need to make it known on this podcast that uh, Will Wade, like, I just think we need to make it known that um, contrary to uh, popular belief, yeah, no, Will Wade is still coaching on the sidelines in Baton Rouge and will continue to do so, it appears. Um, that That's a thing. And I would like to remind people, Will Wade is still coaching a power five conference and a college basketball team known as the lsu tigers it's a what a world we live in that uh who had him outlasting sean miller at arizona i i don't know but um that is that is the case and he's added a lot of talent lsu looks like they should be pretty solid this year but what do you what do you make of phillips uh going with going with the tigers i mean we've kind of had will wade's death notice on the door for three years now (laughs) Mm -hmm. and yet recruits still keep coming to this i mean it, it really isn't just Julian Phillips we'll get to in a second, but like Trendon Watford came after that all came down. Cam Thomas, Juani Wilkinson, Eric Gaines, you know, a couple of those guys haven't worked out quite as well, but like Watford and Thomas are both awesome. Uh, Naz Reed, you know, that uh, sort of controversial Wade team, he was there. Everyone and loves Naz I would Nazareth. say, you know, like Phillips, yeah, I, I would say at worst, like Phillips is on that same level as Reed and Watford. Thomas was seen as a, like a hair below those two coming out of high school obviously that isn't the case now but coming out of high school it's like reed and watford would have been you know the top two guys for wade and i would say phillips on that level he just keeps will wade just keeps getting really good recruits man i mean at minimum he's one of the most exciting day one recruits wade has ever gotten i do think he's gonna have a really good shot to go one and done and is trending towards being a late first round pick a really good score kind of a very good overall offensive player um, but I know you're going to be shocked to hear this. I know everybody who's watched LSU basketball the last four seasons is going to be shocked to hear this. The latest LSU five-star uh, main weakness, defense. Mm. 
nobody, nobody on these teams seems to be a lockdown defensive player. Um, if they can figure out a way to coach that into him somewhat, at least get him up to being like agreeable at a college level, then it's obviously not going to be an issue. And this offense is probably going to make it somewhat of a moot point. But I mean, you know, by the time uh, Phillips gets to LSU, it's going to be presumably Wade's sixth season. I mean, we're going to be entering that sixth season in all likelihood without one good defense at LSU. And it's it's great that Wade keeps reducing these top five and top ten offenses, but at some point you got to stop an opponent, and they have had a lot of trouble coming up with those stops in key games. Mm. I don't know where where do you have them right now um, in your SEC pecking order? Where is your where where are you putting LSU before the season? I, I can't tell if it's controversial or not to have them seventh, but I have them mm. seventh. Um, it, it's it is really just I mean it's like I mentioned on the last podcast LSU's starting five really could be one of the two or three best if not the best in the conference I love their starting five and what they can do it's that I haven't seen that sixth or seventh and definitely not eighth player who can provide the depth when you know eventually you got to go to your bench and the, like I've mentioned you know we're going to enter we are five of Wade this year, and we haven't seen anything resembling a good defense. So until further notice, it's like they're kind of capped out um, sort of in that, well, I'll loosely call like fourth to seventh range in the SEC, mm-hmm. where I, I wouldn't be surprised if LSU ends up being pretty freaking good this year. But I also wouldn't be surprised if we get to Selection Sunday, and it's like, oh, LSU is an 11 seed because they gave up 83 points a game. Mm. Yeah, what what do we we need to coin a term for where Georgia's Georgia's at as a college basketball program in the SEC? What it, the 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 dog dungeon? What do we, what do we call this? Where the where the dog set? Well, term is the cool zone, right? Mm. Where you're kind of beyond the pale. Georgia's <laughs> in the cool zone as a program. I like it. I like it. Um, let's move forward. We got uh, your your Michigan Wolverines like what how does that work for you Will I don't know if you've discussed this on air um if Michigan were to be matched up with the Vols in the final four this year which way are you leaning who do you want to see win that final four matchup the, this is it's at see luckily I have a little experience here mm-hmm. based on 2011 and 2014 mm-hmm. the short explanation that my dad is a Michigan graduate and so I grew up rooting for them as well but mm-hmm. uh my degree is from Tennessee I would root for Tennessee That's okay kind of yeah it just kind of goes there there you go i like it um what do you make of there was a stunner this week that uh juan's howard's son might not go to michigan like that uh i was stunned that he ended up at uh at his father's alma mater and where he is currently the head coach were you were like were you shaken up when you saw the saw the news break out this week no i no. I, I did not allow myself sucked in by the uh I noticed there was a little bit of steam where it was like, hey, Jet Howard doesn't want to play for his dad. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, cool. He's still going to Michigan. <laughs> it's like, it, I didn't hear anything on the Michigan side of things where it seemed like they were worried. So I, I'm really curious to see what he ends up being there. Um, you know, it, the consensus kind of seems to be like he's just that slight hair below five-star status. So he is a legit really good basketball player. Their comparison seems to be to Franz Wagner. Uh, I mean, if he lives up to that, then he has heavily outperformed those recruiting expectations. Cause I think we've all sort of underrated Franz Wagner in you know, hindsight, but um, no, I wasn't surprised by it. He's going to be an excellent shooter. It's funny that he gets to play for Juwan because I mean, really on face value, he's like a perfect beeline era player to me. Like the ideal, Stauskas knockdown shooter that kind of learns his freshman year and then his sophomore year he takes over. Mm. Yeah, I I don't know, but it's also one of the cooler cooler names I think in sports, right? Jet yes. Howard is a cool name. That is a cool cool name. Yes, I, I think it works really well with Howard specifically. Mm-hmm. Jet just sounds good off the tongue. Yes. Jet is like either, but also Jet Howard, if you were to tell me that was a quarterback out of East Texas, would not surprise me either. Yes. Uh, 
UTEP quarterback Jet Howard. <laughs> that uh, I could see that. I absolutely could could see that. Um, noted, just uh, like what I don't know what to call this program. Like they're just John Calipari just putting in work this off season after after a brutal brutal twenty twenty campaign. Uh, looks like Sharp is reclassifying uh, in Lexington. What do you what do you make of this? Um, I mean, if this is what he wants to do, then do it. Uh, might as well. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you would actually want to use up a year of eligibility this way. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's a you know from a Tennessee Tennessee perspective, we do have two cases of this. You know, Jarnell Stokes was the first um, about a decade ago now, and then obviously most recently Santiago Vescovi. It worked out for them to where both could play, like, and the teams they came to really needed them. Like, they needed those players badly when they became eligible. The Sharp thing is interesting because on surface level, would you say, like, Kentucky really needs Sharp this season? I don't think they need him, but I just, based on what happened last year, like, he's not going to say no. I think it's better to have more in the chamber than than not enough. So I think this is a good problem to have, but I don't think they need him. But I think Calipari is like, whatever I can do to ensure what happened last year never, ever, ever happens again, right? Like, you need more just top-end talent, top-end young talent to throw at the dartboard if some guys in front of him don't work out, you know? Yeah, I, I would be honestly more excited to see him get a full year, and I think he will regardless with the semi-super team next season. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of how you know Hamadou Diallo did it. You know, he got a ton of extra weight room time, bulked up significantly. He didn't play a game for the Malik Muck team, uh, but that next year he came out and you know, he's obviously you know made a small career for himself in the NBA. Sharp is you know quite a bit better coming out of high school, a lot more hyped. Mm. Um, so I, I would think, you know, if he wants to reclassify and he wants to play, he will play the, the next question is just like, you know, does that level play keep him not only number one in the 2022 class, but number one for this upcoming draft, if he were to come out. Mm. That I cannot answer. And we won't know I mean, until if, like, we won't know that until months and months down the line. Yeah, it's an interesting I mean, if wrinkle, good, though. If he's as good as many believe, which is that he's exactly Levine, was current Levine in college, mm-hmm. Kentucky is obviously a top-five team and a very serious Final Four contender once he becomes eligible. Uh, but I'm I'm just interested to see how that works. Uh, it would be... It, it's, always, it's kind of... It, it, we don't have a ton of examples of this happening at schools that don't need it. Like Kentucky mm-hmm. will probably be a comfortable top 15, top 10 and team this year without sharp. It's a little different, you know, like the Vescovi example where that Tennessee team was flagging fast and they needed anything in the way of scoring. Uh, like Kentucky wouldn't really need scoring in theory. So I want to see how that happens. I'm also kind of excited uh, to see John Calipari's I'm back season. Uh, where it's like everyone left me for dead and guess what? I'm not dead. So why are you excited about that? I'm not excited about that at all. I don't want any part of that. I enjoyed last year. I hope it continues. It, it ends in Matt Jones sending out a really sad tweet after like an elite eight loss. That's the exciting part. Ooh, Wow. He's caught in the crossfire. What did Matt Love Jones that. do to you? KSR does a great work. I, I don't know what you're doing here. Will. it's the second time <laughs> you're trying to get me involved in, other twitter fights this week what are you doing to me (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've learned my lesson i will never express an opinion on a j star n g r star d star n ever again Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um god that what a what a week what a week lemon um oh man uh so (laughs) let's move to the mid the mid American um, the mid major excuse me the mid American I'm just I've got uh, the AAC on the on the brain because Conference USA and the AAC are talking about some sort of agreement and we'll see what happens there but man just a lot of a lot of movement and a lot of different conferences to to keep up with but uh, there was a really good piece in ESPN.com with all the the usual uh, CBB experts weighing in on the mid majors going into 2021 2022. Um, 
very Gonzaga heavy as expected here, but when you scan their expectations for the mid-major schools, mid-major conferences highlighted by the Missouri Valley, where we're all just big Drake Bulldogs, um, all of us, whoops among us is not a, a, not a Drake Bulldog diehard after their magical run last year. Um, great game though. Great game. Was that the title game for their conference? Was that what that was? That was on yes. late? Okay. Title game. And then they had the, uh, it was like a, what was it? 53, 52 to Wichita state. Mm-hmm. In the first four. That's what it was. That's what I'm thinking of. It was Wichita Drake in the first four. That was that was a delight. An absolute delight. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what did you what do you make of this? Do you agree by and large? Is there any pick that uh, you vehemently disagree with? Or were you mostly nodding along when you were when you were going through this? I thought they were all reasonable takes. I didn't see anything that stood out as like poor like mm-hmm. nothing where i was like oh that reasoning there at all all of it i thought was pretty good i mean and i i would say the the small disagreement i have is making buffalo the uh coincidentally the mid-american conference favorite mm-hmm. uh i would have ohio ahead of them but buffalo is a perfectly fine second pick so i mean on, on the whole there wasn't anything that stood out to me as you know grossly wrong or incorrect Hmm. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Um, if not Zaga, who do you think is most likely to be the best mid-major in 2021-2022? If it's not Gonzaga and it's not led by Chet Holmgren and uh, Mr. Timmy, like if you had to go a different way, who would you go with as the most likely not name Gonzaga to break through? Yeah, see, I, I would press this with saying that it would take like multiple catastrophic <laughs> injuries to be better but that being said i think my pick and a lot of people's maybe not obvious pick because i was looking at this and i saw a couple other selections but it's got to be saint bonaventure i mean mm. that's the only other mid-major if i if i had a top 25 vote which luckily i don't i think it'd be a little embarrassing for me uh, to try and stand up to honestly much smarter writers. Uh, the only we'll one get you there. We'll get you the Chase Thomas podcast bump. We'll get you there. St. <laughs> Bonnie's would be top 25. And I honestly could be swayed to have them in a top 15. That is a team that I fully expect to win a ton of games. I know we've kind of gone into my Bonnie's love the last couple of times we've recorded. Um, my comments here, you know, obviously it just continues to be a team with a lot that returns a t- ton of experience um they're going to be really tough defensively that that is a roster that is going to make you work for your points which is obviously really exciting to think about from a major perspective because those those are the type of teams where you look up and hey they're in the sweet 16 uh i do think it's a shame though that because of their newfound tough out status they don't really have a single signature home game on the books the best home opponent they've got is either buff or northern iowa and they've got some neutral site fixtures that could be quite interesting obviously yukon i think is a top 20-ish team virginia tech people seem to be in on and they have the potential of playing i think ole miss uh in west virginia in a uh, early season thanksgiving-ish tournament but still there's they don't really get the ultimate experience of playing those good teams at home like Gonzaga gets to but because of that one i think they're going to run through the atlantic 10 pretty easily mm. that's like you know they play 18 conference games i think they're going to win like 15 16 and then two that's a team i look at and i'm like yeah 28 wins five seed mm. they're they're going to win a bunch of games like they i i can't wait to see them play that yukon game in december in particular is going to be really fun um it, it is kind of a shame that they don't get a second signature ish game in there i mean they'll get to play richmond they'll get to play vcu and st louis and whatnot but I do wish they had a chance to play another. I would I honestly wish they had a chance to play Villanova. Mm. Where I'm like, you know, I think Villanova would win, of course, but St. Bonaventure could give them a really good 40 minute game. 
I don't I don't hate that. I don't hate that. But they'll their time will come. They're a team that everyone like like what do you think about Bonne, what do you think about St. Bonaventure? And you're just like I've been saying it for months. I've been shouting from the rooftops that St. <laughs> Bonaventure was gonna get here. Um you're just gonna you're gonna win a lot of money because I don't think a lot of people are gonna buy in on the Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight run for the Bonnies in their in their brackets and you'll just go ahead and pencil them in no matter where they fall. So uh, don't tell we did. Don't tell us we did not warn you, folks, ahead of time that the the Bonnies are legit. Um, are you a Belmont guy and a Casey Alexander guy? Like, uh, can I tell you my favorite Knoxville Belmont story that that's happened since I've been here? Yes, I'd love to hear this. Okay, so I like I've always just like known about Belmont. The Belmont basketball stuff has always fascinated me, and like why they're so good, and just where they are, and. I don't know, just call, looking at him as like the, the Gonzaga of the Southeast uh, miniature version and always being fascinated. But I'm the kind of person that like I'll connect with somebody based on like the sports that they'll wear. Like it's always like really uncomfortable when you misread a situation on that. Um, I don't know if you've been here, but like I will ask, I, I, I guess because this is what I do for a living and this is like I'm a, the sports renaissance man and I just know a lot about like the reason I got coined that years ago was that like i know a lot about i know a little bit about a lot of stuff and i i read and keep up with everything and there's obviously some that i'm more familiar with than others but like by and large i could tell you the starting left tackle for the green bay packers and also tell you who's starting at the five for the west virginia basketball team so like stuff like that is all useless information that i just have just powered into my my skull um great great use of my time However, all that being said, the reason I bring that up is because like I will go out and if I see somebody in a Packers shirt, I'll be like, oh, what do you think of Aaron Rodgers and blah, blah, blah. They're like, oh, it's just a shirt. And I'm like, oh, why do people do that? It, it always weirds me out that people like will wear sporting attire and then not care at all about what they're wearing. That makes no sense to me because it, to me, I look at it as like an invitation to me talking to you and being like, hey, what do you what do you think of blah or like, man, your left tackle situation's not been going well. Why is that? And they're just like, oh, I've watched three games in seven years. And I'm like, oh, OK, well, there's no connection here. I'll uh, get, get back to your meal. And this man in Knoxville at a restaurant here, he had a Belmont hat on and it, it caught me off guard. But I like I perked up because I was like, oh, I never see any Belmont gear. And I went over and I asked him about why they've kind of like why they had a bad year. And I was like, what do you like? What what happened here? Because it seemed like this and this and this. And he looked at me stone faced and was like, dude, I graduated from there 10 years ago. I haven't watched a basketball game since. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. well, have a good night. And that that was it. Like, just he was so bummed that I even asked him about the Belmont hat and was like, he forgot he was even wearing a Belmont hat. And I just asked him this really specific question about what was going on with Belmont basketball and uh, did not get an answer. And not only that, I think I made him feel bad uh, for for not keeping up with Belmont because he had no like I was basically speaking a different language to him. Mm. Yeah. Well, see, I own a Belmont shirt. I bought it many years ago. I would wear Belmont so, here. I grew up in the- yeah, I, you can wear it. I got to find it. But uh, <laughs> I, I grew up in Middle Tennessee. Rick Bird is kind of like. Yeah, like I know Rick Bird. No one knows who Rick Bird is. I asked him about Rick Bird in the thing and he's like, I don't know. Like, just no idea. No idea. Yeah. So they've always got a soft spot in my heart. Mm-hmm. I will always be pro Belmont. And so, yeah, I'm a Belmont guy. I, they return almost everything from mm-hmm. the awesome team they had last year. The fun bonus here that is going to be uh, kind of cool to see if anybody rises as a real challenger. And I do have a challenger in mind I'll get to. They're playing out the string in this dying Ohio Valley Conference. Um, I want to see that makes the, the visiting crowds or the crowds on the road a little tougher. Uh, you know, what happens? Do they get less calls? You know, let's be honest. We'll see what happens there. But the the issue with being all the way in on this team in particular is that you have to contend with two things when it comes to Belmont and kind of teams in these similar OVC style leagues. One, almost never, unfortunately, do you get a two-bid league. Two, that's a problem when Murray State is also really good, uh, which I think they will be this year. It's going to be Belmont, Murray State, and then a huge gap to the rest of the field. I know Moorhead State won it last year, but Moorhead... Uh, is a clear tier below both Belmont and Murray. Um, but I think just like it seems like they do every year, Belmont's going to win a ton of games. Casey Alexander seems to be 
really good at this. I think, you know, people may have expected a hair of a drop off, off for them after Bird retired, and it really hasn't happened. Like, Alexander's just kept things rolling. They, I mean, it helps that they play basically the exact same style, of course. But they're, they're going to sneak up on a team, uh, and they have a couple of good opportunities this year. A team that uh, not necessarily overlooks them, but just can't stop them. I mean, Belmont can shoot you out of a gym. And I am really excited to see them play a team we discussed earlier, LSU, on November 22nd. Mm. It is just weird, though, that, like, the reason I brought it up to him, I was like, Bert, like, Alexander hasn't, I mean, part of it, I guess, because the postseason was not held um, a year ago that they didn't, obviously, couldn't qualify for the for the big dance, but, like, they have not made it past the round of 64 in, like, <sighs> okay, so, it, yeah. Yep. I, don't, I was gonna say ever yeah and they like just i don't know their records are always preposterous in conference play but they just they can't get over the hump they're just not there i don't know it's very strange also with bird growing up in knoxville and his dad writing about him uh the men's basketball team it's is it not just preposterous that bird never was the head coach of tennessee basketball with how many coaches we cycled through like he never got it yeah like, and especially yeah Especially given the time of some of the hires, like exactly, when Tennessee hired Condo in 2011. That probably would have been the perfect time to do the Rick Barnes thing, but with Rick Burt and be like, play out the string of your career here, make this team play above their weight, and you get five or six years or whatever to make mm. it happen. Yeah, it would I mean, have worked. He, I think. I think so. I mean, he was what 30 and five that year, something like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I think Belmont will be good this year and they should be someone to keep an eye on. Um, in the Missouri Valley, Drake or Loyola for you? I'm pro Loyola. Mm. Uh, disgusting to say. <laughs> they have caused me, me a heartburn. But the, the cool thing here with this conference is, you know, in opposition to the Ohio Valley point I just mentioned, you could make a case for it being a two-bid conference again. Uh, Drake, I think... People kind of see Loyola and Drake on the same level. I think Loyola is a bit ahead, not like a massive step, but a step. But Drake is going to be really good again. They, I, I'm excited to see you know Roman Penn back, Hemphill back. They, they've got a very, very, very senior heavy rotation, which almost always bodes well for regular season success. Uh, and I think if they can get to March, that's a team where you're like they're really experienced. They're not going to sweat it out too much. They're going to be hard to beat. Uh, Loyola, kind of a similar thing, less senior heavy, but still pretty upperclassman heavy. Um, I, it's going to be hard to replace Big Cam, one of the most wonderful basketball players college basketball has seen in decades. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, like, Braden Norris is really cool. Lucas Williamson is an awesome defensive player. That That's, that's going to be a really fun battle to watch start to finish, and I think it really is going to go from all the way down to the wire, both with the regular season title and with the conference tournament. And the cool thing for Loyola is they get a couple of opportunities to not necessarily pick off, well, one would be a signature win, but, you know, they have a couple of opportunities to get some key high major wins. You know, Michigan State is the obvious one in mid-November, but a, a key one that I am very, very intrigued by and cannot wait to see, because I think I know how it's going to come out, mm -hmm. Uh, them playing at Vanderbilt on December 10th. Mm. That now, we talked last episode about how we both think Vanderbilt's kind of escaped the sicko zone. <laughs> but um, Loyola, I mean, if they win that game, that's going to be a good thing to look at because at minimum at year's end, that's Q2. And mm. if Vanderbilt plays above their level a bit and is a top 75 team, they've stolen a quadrant one win. That would be massive for their, you know, potential at-large case and drake kind of gets the same shot because they get richmond belmont and clemson and st louis all in non-conference play mm. i don't i don't hate it oh the dog the dog hates it Khaleesi the dog was not a fan of that last day <laughs> we also don't really know what kind of coach drew valentine's going to be right like we we're gonna have to see because it might be a situation where this was all porter moser right like that's a possibility we don't know uh it runs in the family though valentine's dad's a longtime coach um his brother obviously is a bunch of success at michigan state uh, he's been an assistant under moser for several years um but i don't know we'll, we'll have to see what uh 
what that looks like if there is a drop off there. I don't know. It, it, we can't speculate beforehand, but uh, we'll have to see if uh, losing Mr. Moser is is a huge, huge problem and that they go back to what they were before. Are you concerned about that? A little. I, I don't think it will affect them as much this year. It's mm-hmm. just that really, like we mentioned, upperclassmen heavy. They can kind of do a continuation thing. Mm-hmm. from That we years. won't know for a couple of years. It's the Coker situation. We won't know until, like, because it's not his players yet. And we'll, we'll have year, to see. I would say year three, you will start to know if it's, you know, the Moser leftovers or if it's Drew Valentine. Mm-hmm. Um, have we gotten clarification on why their their logo is a wolf and they're called the Ramblers? Uh, no, I would love to know that. I need, need I need a, answers. We need a Loyola expert on this podcast, honestly, because they are at this point one of the most well known college basketball teams. That is wild, right? Like they are really one of the man. I Tennessee. Let's add them to the calendar. Let's. Do we at least have Belmont? I don't think we do, right? No, Tennessee has some in obviously Memphis is the key. Yes. Uh, in state pop, but I mean, it, I'm looking at it now. It's just UT Martin, East Tennessee State, and Tennessee Tech, and that's it for in state. Uh, <laughs> Not even Middle Tennessee State? Or- no, now, MTSU, I think fans would be fine with scheduling at this point, but I think <laughs> honest, mm. they sort of swore off. They sort of swore off scheduling Belmont because late in the Pearl years, they had a couple of big time belmont scares that resulted in like two point wins yeah and they have not bothered to put them back on so but see that's just silly to me just don't run from it like you're you like whatever it's it can only help your team i don't understand that it can only help your team um and also it's just great and better for the product for the fans um all right will well how do the good folks keep up with your work uh, on statsbywill.com and uh, what to check out with your latest installment of Tennessee basketball. Yeah, so statsbywill.com is where all my stuff goes. I'm excited for the season ahead. Um, the eight-game series on Tennessee's modern history concludes next Friday, October 22. And then after that, it is all 2021-22 season mode. Tennessee season preview comes out in late October. I'm going to have a couple of other non-Tennessee pieces because I like to keep it varied. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, teams I'm sort of loosely in and out on and then some basic expectations for the season. There you go. There you go. Follow him at statsbywill on twitter.com. Go check out all of his great pieces and keep up with them as this season gets ready to get started. Statsbywill.com. Go check it out. Bookmark it today. Uh, Make sure if you like listening to Will and I, make sure you leave this episode a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com. And yeah, every Friday you'll have college basketball from Will and I in your feed. So check that out. And uh, Will, I will talk to you next week. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Hello and welcome back to a Friday, but we're recording this on a Thursday edition of I guys, you're not gonna believe this. I've I've rebranded this another time. I just have so much fun rebranding. So I'm rebranding this again. Rocky Tablets Rock is just too long for me. It's too too long. So what I'm gonna do, it's go big orange Friday. That's what we're doing. It's gonna go up on Fridays. Yeah. Go big orange Fridays. That's that's what I that's what I'm going with. GBO F. GBOF is what I'm what I'm doing. Uh, Ryan Shumpert is here of Rocky Top Insider, as he is every week. Ryan, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing well. Like like the rebrand. I uh, I think that flows well. I think it's got a nice a nice tone to it to go with the, with the Friday balls balls episode. So I like it. There you go. Uh, also here, Ethan Stone of the UTK Daily Beacon. Ethan, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm good. I'm gonna echo Ryan's sentiment. I like it. It rolls off the tongue well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, can y'all hear the lawnmower going on in the background here? Barely, I just cannot. barely. I cannot. I was wondering. Took the took the dog on the walk before we started recording here in the in the home studio, and I I was wondering if he was going to start or he was wrapping up his uh, his lawn care today, and he he just started. So shout out to my guy with no. <laughs> No remorse, no no questions about who's doing a podcast in, in the general vicinity. So shout out to him getting that work in on this beautiful fall Friday. Like uh, the leaves are falling. It's still a little too hot, 
for my taste, but you know, still too hot. Yeah, still too hot. But fall, fall, and fall in the mountains is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, guys, let's start with what happened on Saturday. I was in the building for this. The black uniforms were back. Um, no helmets due to COVID and not being able to get the uh, the number of helmets they needed to do a black uniform black all the way out but it seems like that's coming and especially because they won so if they had played poor league in south carolina home i i wonder if we see black uniforms anytime soon players wanted it there was the cool stuff after the game the al wilson stuff was awesome you had hypo revealing leonard little was like giving pointers to defensive linemen uh while he was there uh it, it was great a great day all around folks came up for it uh ethan let me start with you what do we learn from Tennessee shellacking South Carolina on Saturday? I think the most important thing to talk about would be the second half. I mean, that's kind of the downtrodden part of the uh, of the beatdown, I guess. It's more fun to talk about the first half, but the second half is the thing that is more telling, in my opinion. You know, it's first-year head coach, Heifel, you know, it's going to happen. Um, they're going to have down quarters, and it doesn't necessarily translate to Tennessee not being ready or anything like that. I think it's more Heupel just wanted to run the ball in South Carolina knew that knew that was going to happen. Heupel just wanted to end the game. And so you come out of the quarter with three straight rushes, punt, um, next possession, three straight rushes, on again. That that slows it down a little. That, that kind of kills the tempo that um, Heupel was coming after in the first half. But I don't look too much into it, really. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be a problem going forward. But to kind of go more on the positive side, obviously that first half was just ridiculous. It was just an extension of the Mizzou game. Um, I think I actually tweeted that I thought it was just Mizzou and South Carolina uniform. <laughs> but but yeah, overall, you know, pretty dominant win. You can look past the second half if you want to, or you can really look into it, but I don't think it's too big of a deal. Ryan, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I would say my first takeaway or, or whatever you want to say is just that the Missouri game wasn't a fluke. Now Missouri is we South Carolina showed how hard it is to be beaten down like Missouri is for a full 60 minutes. And I think that was a lot to, to Ethan's point simply. Second half against Missouri, Tennessee was able to just, whoever they had in a quarterback or running back offensive line, they were still able to just line it up and run right out. So that wasn't the case against South Carolina. And we didn't think that would be the case. So the fact that it you know, it, not that Tennessee ran it against South Carolina the way they did against Missouri, but the way that they, their offense played the first quarter was incredibly impressive because this hasn't been a bad South Carolina defense. Certainly isn't a great one by any means either. So I was really impressed by that. And it seems like Hinton Hooker is just getting more comfortable. Good to see our guy. I guess we haven't talked since the Missouri game. It was good to see our guy, Bayless Jones. Back to back big weeks. I think we had our big, uh, I think Josh and, and Alex Golish listened to the show two weeks mm-hmm. ago. And they said, "All right, we, these guys, these guys know football. Mm-hmm. They, uh, we need to get Bayless Jones involved." And that's what we've seen the last two weeks. So I'll be interested to see if, if that continues. I kind of think it will. And then uh, that was the big takeaway. And then one thing: this is more macro and a little bit more of an overreaction. But from what we've seen Hypel do like at UCF, and now what we've seen in, in six weeks uh, against SEC opponents, uh, Tennessee, I think. Heupel in his tenure is going to do a good job of beating those teams he's supposed to beat. The South Carolinas, the Missouris, the Vanderbilts. Some years uh, this year, Kentucky is obviously a lot, lot better. But some years, the Kentucky is just because I think the way his offense is built, it's just built to expose bad teams and bad defenses. So how much success he can have against the Alabamas, the Floridas, the Georgias of the world when he gets more talent and everything gets even, I think that's still a huge question. But uh, the first run around against those teams that Tennessee need, needs to separate itself from as a program, what Jeremy Pruitt really wasn't able to do, what Butch Jones wasn't able to do with enough consistency. I think Josh Heifel has shown early that he can do a great job in there, and I think it has the makings to be really good long-term. Yeah, I think if you're a South Carolina or Mizzou fan, you're you're nervous now. Like, you weren't nervous before the season, but now you're like, okay, Mark Stoops has got UK rolling. Florida is i mean as long as mullen's there like they're going to be good um maybe not great maybe not championship level but good and then you have kirby and just the juggernaut that is georgia but if hypel has this stuff figured out and he's got this team on the right track and like they're on their way to eight and four seven and five years for the foreseeable future with the the every now and then 10 and 2 11 and 1 type year then that's bad news for South Carolina Mizzou because then there's no path. Then you're like, oh, the the road to figuring this out and to getting us back into the upper echelon of the SEC East is just 
going to be significantly more difficult. And that's without even mentioning that Texas and Oklahoma are coming. So the fact that they're also coming very soon, I just, if I'm a Mizzou and South Carolina fan and seeing how Tennessee just drubbed them, drubbed them before Hypels even got all of his players in, it's just, you're concerned. I think you're extremely concerned about what your upward mobility is um, going forward. I, I just, I don't know what you're excited about because you're just like, man, that offense was was bad. I think Mizzou is just, they weren't as physical, especially defensively as South Carolina was. Like South Carolina did not quit in that second half. Mizzou quit. They were done. Like Mizzou was out. They like, I, I want to go home. Yeah. I, I want to get out of here. South Carolina was like, we could come back in this game. The defense did not, did not give up. Um, and they tried to get this team back in it in the second half. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There was a defender. I think it was one of their edge rushers who was celebrating. Did y'all catch that? Celebrating off a hand of hooker. Yes. Blowing the kisses to the crowd. You yeah. were down four scores. Like, that was preposterous. Like, the the stadium erupted where I was. Like, I don't know what he was thinking. Um, I just could not imagine. Can you imagine somebody doing that on Saban or Kirby Smart's team? Like, do, oh my goodness. Like, immediate pulled for the rest of the game. Just, I. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing there. It's like you're down four scores, settle down. Um, but like you said, Velas Jones showing out. I was very concerned about Tyon though. Like that hit looked bad. He was on the ground for a while. But then I think Hypo revealed after the fact that he could have put him back in if he wanted, but they wanted to just like the game was over. No sense bringing him back. And I mean, that's the other big part. Like Hendon Hooker's figured it out, but Tyon has been one of the best running backs in the country this year per PFF. And it's just... Hey, you, you got to keep them healthy, especially against a team like Ole Miss on Saturday. Ryan, what do you what do you make of Tyon and it, the health and just the guys that we're getting back for Ole Miss? Because even though you're getting Cooper Mays back, it looks like he's been bad all year long. Like Cooper's just objectively been a, been atrocious, especially in pass coverage, uh, pass blocking. And then you're like, okay, um, we're getting some guys back. Jabari Small getting him back it looks like will be extremely important but then you also lose Jawan mitchell for this season um i don't know what do you what do you make of the guys the ball should have back on saturday against the rebels well i think it's a, it's a big plus you get Dio jackson back even as well mm. as brandon turnage played last week getting that sec defensive player a week you're gonna need all the bodies you can get in that in that secondary against old Miss on saturday so I mean, that's big. Theo still as good as Brandon Turner has been. Theo has been just as good, too, uh, in the first five games of the season, I guess it was. So I think that's big. Cooper Mays one, I'm kind of waiting to see. I mean, it, you know, Kurt, like you said, Cooper hasn't been fantastic. He really hasn't even played that much. I mean, he got hurt in the first quarter of Bowling Green game, and I guess he played the whole Florida game, but he got hurt again in the second half of that Florida game and was very visibly injured while trying to play through it in the second half. So we just really haven't seen a ton of Cooper Mays. He played in pit, all. didn't he? No, I don't. I don't think so. I thought he played the second week against Pitt. Am I misremembering that? Maybe he didn't play against Pitt. I'm pretty sure I that was the game that Kingston Harris. Okay. Yeah, Kingston Harris came in and played guard, and then he got hurt in that game, and then that's led to Ollie Lane mm. in that spot since. So mm. we haven't really seen a whole lot of Cooper. And uh, you make a good point on just how healthy is Tyon. I'm not exactly sure, but I, I do think it's big Tennessee gets. He's expected to play, and they do get Jabari Small back because I think they're going to have a lot of opportunities to run the ball well Saturday night, and I think you need as many bodies as you can to do that to keep guys fresh. And not that, you know, Leonard White has been solid. He's certainly been, these last two weeks, probably better than I expected, but I, I still definitely think it's a drop-off from Small to him. So I think having those two good backs on top of what Hooker can do with his legs uh, should be really big for Tennessee's rush off on Saturday. Absolutely. What do you think, Ethan? Yeah, you got to be able to match Ole Miss in some way, and not having Evans obviously would be, you know, pretty detrimental. I I think I saw earlier today, Heifel said that Shocker, uh, he's not going to release whether or not he's going to be playing. Mm. Um, yeah, so when it comes down, I, I think Evans will play. I don't think it'll be a huge deal, especially if Heifel was saying he was good to go last week and he just was holding him out for safety precautions. Now, across the board, injury-wise, Tennessee. I noticed with Theo Jackson, Danico Slaughter especially, Tennessee can't have any more of these, like, phantom injuries that just sneak up on them and that, like, you know, game tape, they say, these players are inactive or, like, these players aren't going to be going because especially with DeJuan Mitchell out and then you had Theo Jackson out last week, obviously they're probably going to play this week, probably just a minor setback. But having those key guys miss, we haven't 
Tennessee hasn't been at full strength yet this season. And so having depth at running back, having depth at linebacker, especially now with no Mitchell, having depth in the secondary, getting um, Slaughter and getting Jackson back was going to be huge for Saturday. Yeah. Um, I, I'm excited. Um, well, let's, let's focus on this defense because one of the things that's interesting about Tennessee is the bend don't break and Elijah Simmons being, uh, just a really great player for them. The defensive line, I don't think anybody saw coming. Matthew Butler's been great. Barron's been great. Um, still wait and see on young, but obviously coming in late hurts him a little bit, but you lose Juwan Mitchell for the season, the transfer from Texas. He's been banged up and we already, we talked about how banged up this linebacker room was coming into the year. So it's Beasley and Banks the rest of the way, uh, health permitting, but the secondary getting Theo Jackson back is huge, but as a whole, uh, this Tennessee defense does not force turnovers. Like this is not a turnover heavy group. It's a bend don't break group. Is that something that concerns you, Ethan, going into this game? And have you identified why UT has struggled to force turnovers? I'm not sure it concerns me. You know, what, what's been happening so far has been working, but it's also been working against like lower to middle level SEC teams. When you've got Ole Miss, who is explosive, has Matt Corral, has a great rushing game behind him, um, it's, it's, it's going to get to a point where you're going to have to force those turnovers. As to why, not 100% sure. There's, there's a myriad of reasons as to why that might be. Um, a lot of them have just gone through their hands. Christian Charles' first start, he had one right in his hands, dropped it. Um, Jalen McCullough has dropped his fair share, even though I believe he has three on the season right now. Um, just the secondaries dropped their fair share of stuff, and it seems to be they're more, I guess, intent on emphasizing going for the tackle rather than making those games game-changing plays. Um, but as, as to why more interceptions, more fumbles haven't been, you know, um, forced, I'm, I, I can't answer 100%. But it definitely needs to change if we're going to be talking about beating a team like Ole Miss with a high-powered offense. If we're going to be talking about beating a team like Alabama, Georgia, even in a couple weeks, um, that, that's just not going to happen if you can't make those um, game-changing plays. Ryan, what do you think? Well, I'd say for one, I'm with you. This isn't a very good turnover forcing defense, but the past few weeks they've been solid. I think they've kind of been over their head a little mm-hmm. bit. It's been a little deceptive because last week you have the fumbled snap and then the mm-hmm. back pass at the three-yard line that was just bewildering. <laughs> uh, those were back-to-back offensive plays for South Carolina, too, which shows you how well that first quarter went for them. But it, when I do think it's a challenge or it's a problem, especially Saturday, because Ole Miss hasn't turned the ball over much this year. I mean, that's the biggest, at least from my eyes, that's the biggest change from Matt Corral last year to this year. I mean, he was obviously really talented last year. He just had a couple, three, four interception games, one against Arkansas. He's cut that off the, out this year. No turnovers, no interceptions. It's hard for me to see, you know, Tennessee forcing a bunch of turnovers Saturday night, which would be a massive bonus if they could. But uh, I think when you look at why that is, I think some of it's you just don't have a great pass rush. You know, the defense line's been solid, but more guys than not at the interior. And you said Tyler Barron. I think he's been really good, but he's been better in the run than he is at the pass. So I don't think you have a whole lot of, of a pass rush. Or, mm-hmm. You can't go out there with four guys and get a ton of ton of pressure on most teams. And then Tennessee's back end, while it's been solid and it's held up and it's been bend, don't break, you still don't really have many playmakers back there. And as a whole, it's not some great unit. You know, McCullough has three interceptions and He's still, you know, he's not some ball hawking safety or anything. So uh, I think it's more just kind of about the personnel they have, why they haven't been able to, to force more turnovers, or really why I think it'll show up the next few weeks that they're not a great turnover forcing defense. Yeah, and uh, what should help, I think, significantly is that uh, since week one, the Neyland Stadium has seen an increase in the uh, number of points of sale. Beal, uh, offering beer by 68%. Um, it's it's good that uh, the lines have been diminished a little bit, and we can't understate just how important the increase in, in beer sales and uh, the double fisting that we're seeing across, across Nealon. And um, something else to keep in mind, uh, we're not going to have any sunburn issues this week. Uh, the fam and I witnessed a lot of, lot of folks in the student section getting some some classic old sun poisoning with their their orange and white overalls with no sunscreen a lot of a lot of miller lights and no sunscreen on saturday so uh that we we can't understate how important it will be to have a night game so the good folks in the student section will will not 
be in jeopardy there. Um, and they'll probably pace themselves throughout the the majority of Saturday. So that should that should also be something to to look at um, the pace of tailgating for for folks all around Neyland and Knoxville on Saturday. But um, I am excited to see what this looks like. Um, the importance of Velas Jones, Ryan. How do you think he matches up with this with this Old Miss group? Do you see? another 28 to nothing jumping off point like is this something we should expect still against somebody like Ole Miss where the defense is still struggling and I mean they're not great against the run their defense is I think 12th in the SEC right now uh per pro pro football focus um do you think Velas Jones continues uh to be a matchup nightmare against what Ole Miss has to offer or do you see a different kind of guy stepping up uh on Saturday well I think 28 nothing or you know 28 points in the first quarter is probably going to be you know too much to expect, but I do think the offense is going to continue to get off to the fast starts. I mean every game they really have, and the pit game they should have had more you know more chances. They schemed some people up, and Joe Miller couldn't complete those passes. But for one, you know do expect a, a fast start for the offense, and I think this is going to be another big game from Bayless Jones. I mean you listen to Lane Kiffin talk this week, and you watch Ole Miss play a little bit. They really struggled with tackling and. That's what Bayless Jones is best at, just getting the ball in his hands and, and letting him make some plays after the catch. And that's really what Tennessee's done the last few weeks. And I think he'll have a great opportunity to do that this weekend and have a lot of success against Ole Miss. Mm. What do you think, Ethan? My sentiment is going to be pretty much the same. Um, I've, I've said it for weeks that Bayless Jones with the ball in his hand in open space is a deadly combination for a defense. And Tennessee's going against a defense that is worse per PFF than South Carolina. Um, Obviously, you know, South Carolina's got guys like Jalen Foster and, and got good linebackers enough that, that could, you know, force those plays against Bayless, kind of force them to the outside, and even that didn't work. So against a team like Ole Miss, I think, I think Bayless will kind of be in his element. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for not just him, but Hyatt for Tillman to, um, to really be able to shine, whether it be in a screen, whether it be in an out, you know, shallow route, something like that. Um, I think at all three phases of the passing game, it's going to be a uh, – it's gonna be a fun show. I think so. I do think. What's the over under? I think it's eighty two. Is that what I saw? For two and a half. Oh my goodness! I mean, yeah. this is just. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's like the highest since like a Texas Tech game against maybe Baylor a couple years ago. I can't. I can't remember hundred percent, but it's it's up there. Mm. Um. Last thing, how do we see it going? Like, all right, let's get our official predictions in. Ryan, how do you see this going ultimately? I have no earthly idea. I haven't I, all week. I've gone back and forth what you know what I'm going to pick on. Uh, I really don't know. I it, it's and this is to really just your point, isn't about the high over under thing. It just feels so weird. I've never I never have any memory of coming into a Tennessee game with this. You know, it's going to be super high scoring. Anything can happen. I, I don't really know what to expect in a game like this and and how this plays out. You know, right here in Thursday, 2.09 p.m. Eastern time, uh, I'm going to go with Tennessee. Uh, I'll say Tennessee gets it done because I do think, you know, like Ethan was just saying, I think this Ole Miss defense is really bad, and I think Tennessee's going to be able to run the ball and make some some big plays. But uh, I really think this could go either way, and it's really one of those games that any small mistake, a fourth down stop, a holding to a field goal in the red zone, someone finding a way to force a turnover against these two offenses that have done a great job of taking care of the ball. Really, really small things I think are going to be the difference in this one. Mm. Um, we'll we'll see. We'll we'll see. I I've gone back and forth too. I think people who like I don't see any way this is a blowout. I I don't see one team just unloading. I don't see a twenty-eight to nothing thing. I could see twenty-one to seven, twenty-one to three, or something. Yeah. Uh, for Tennessee. Uh, I th- I think that's real. The hypo first quarter stuff is real, and I don't think Ole Miss has the defense that's going to jeopardize that streak. Now, George and Kentucky, we'll we'll see. Uh, we'll see if he's able to have a hot start there. Uh, but maybe you know, with Kiffin revealing to or Com- uh, Jonathan Crompton revealing to Charlie Burris on the A to Z podcast, did you see what he said about Kiffin the week of the Tennessee Carolina game from ten years ago now? I did not know. Okay. So apparently Kiffin knew, do you remember the fullback, uh, the fullback play It was the second play of the game where Austin Johnson went on a fly pattern, like straight up the middle, like right through the center and was wide open. They scored on the, the, the second play of the game. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, that play was designed on like Monday. Like Kiffin kept telling Crompton he's running that play, the second play of the game all week and Crompton was like okay whatever and like Crompton was getting annoyed about Kiffin just telling him every day that that's what they're running and it's gonna work and this is what we're doing and he's just excited about it every day and they were practicing it a bunch in practice and then Kiffin actually calls it on the second play and he doesn't get picked up South because he said like South Carolina was gonna be in uh cover zero in that moment and they were in cover zero and I watched this game actually like I think I did watch this game last Thursday um and he was just wide open. No one picked him up. Cover zero. There was not enough defenders to match up with him. No one saw the fullback going straight at the middle and touchdown. Like it was uh, pretty wild. Kiffin, I think, might be a pretty brilliant offensive play caller is uh, what we learned there from from the Crompton uh, analogy. I, I highly encourage you to listen to that conversation with him and Charlie Burris. But it was it was interesting. Um, Ethan, your pick. So I started on Monday saying this is going to be Ole Miss by about 20. Um, the reason I thought that was just Tennessee has built up so much momentum and it would just be so Tennessee for it to pop right in front of their face and, and they just lay an egg. But I've gone back on that and I now think it's going to be very close and I'm going to share what Ryan said. I have no earthly idea, but I think I'm going to say for the sake of this podcast that Tennessee is going to come on top 41 to 38. Hmm. You said what was the yeah. score? 41 to 38. I'll, I guess I'll give some reasoning to that. Mm. Too. And the reason is Ole Miss just really, really, really does not have a good defense. Like, it's simple as that. We've said, we've said it over and over on this podcast, but mm. they just, it's not great. And Tennessee's isn't fantastic either, but it's better. And the offenses are just going to go back and forth. I'm not sure either defense is really going to play that big of a role. It's, it's going to be a lot of scoring. And, Ultimately, the game is a new one. It's at night. There's a lot of hype behind it. You know, Kiffin coming back and you know, all, all that stuff, everything that's accumulated so far, I think it'll tip in Tennessee's favor. Mm. I, I think Tennessee wins this. I, I've gone, like, that's my final gut instinct is that Tennessee does win this. Um, now, am I concerned that Hype will encourage fans to, what was the, the adjective he used for, for this Hot Saturday? Dial? hostile that's what it was um yeah that is certainly a choice certainly a word choice for hypo because he's new and i don't think hypo is in the stands he's not familiar with uh what the good folks at neilan uh are going to do in a hostile <laughs> environment for for lane kiffin <laughs> so i don't know if that's the right message to send i'm not really sure you didn't really actually need to encourage it because i think it's going to be that way anyway but yeah, I I'm leaning 45 Tennessee. I, no, I'm gonna go 45 Tennessee, 40 Ole Miss. I think Tennessee not only covers, I think they win outright. Um, but we'll see. We'll we shall see. I would not be surprised either way. But my gut's telling me this because this is a big one too for Tennessee because it's gonna like we this next few weeks are gonna be brutal. Like what Tennessee has in front of them before South Alabama and Vanderbilt. Um, like they're going bowling no matter what. Like that's something we know. You're getting the six, uh, but this is the difference between seven and five, eight and four. Like that's a very different type of deal because um, we can just go ahead and pencil Georgia and uh, Alabama's losses. I think to this point, but I mean Kentucky on the road. I I don't know yet. We'll we'll see how they fare against Georgia, and then this one right here. These are the last two flip flop games, and Tennessee won two of the flip-flop games that we were wondering about before the season that would dictate whether or not they go bowling, which was South Carolina and Mizzou. And they blew them both out. So it will be interesting because we'll know a lot more about Tennessee. And if they can do this, then I think Kentucky is more feasible. Um, that's just a, the Ole Miss is maybe the second best team in the SEC West this year. We, we don't know. Um, the West is just interesting. And this is a good litmus test for where Tennessee is and where this defense is and how far Hinton Hooker can take this group. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I'll go with. Um, Ethan, what can we check out from you at uh, the UTK Daily Beacon this week? Yeah, so we got a uh, Q&A with the Daily Mississippian sports editor that's coming out momentarily, hopefully. And then we'll have preview, keys and predictions, and full coverage on Saturday. There we go. There we go. Ryan, what about you at Rocky Top Insider? A lot of the same stuff. We talked to uh, Nick Suss declaring ledger earlier today, so have have that out, uh, preview of Ole Miss, some, some look at Tennessee's offense kind of by the numbers. 
this week. And then uh, basketball media availability that Ethan and myself will be headed to here in just a second in open practice. So we'll have some uh, – anyone looking for some hoops content this week, we'll have some uh, practice observations later this afternoon and a little bit more stuff in the next few days following up on that. And if you're a, a Vols fan, go check out Stats by Will, um, his Tennessee basketball series that he's doing on Stats fantastic, by Will. Fantastic. Agreed. By Will. Absolutely. He's done great. Great work. It's really good stuff. So go check that out. Basketball season is almost here. Baseball season's almost here. Um, we're about to be oranged out. Like, just all kinds of stuff. The sports renaissance woman is not happy. She thinks I'm joking with the stuff that I'm watching her on, like, on the calendar. I'm like, you might not see me until February. Like, it, it, there's just too much going on. Like, Tennessee might be playing the same time as the Braves on Saturday night. It's not fair. There's just so much stuff. There's so much content to consume. It's a... I feel guilty always be complaining about it i mean the preds come back tonight and the sports renaissance woman and i we decided we're making the jump we're investing ourselves in the preds with the thrashers wow. rest in peace gone we want to i want to dip my toes into one ten, like i had this opening the nhl opening the mighty ducks that's whatever like i have a mighty ducks jeremy um why am i forgetting his name banks why am i forgetting his first name no why am i forgetting his name oh my goodness i know you guys know his name banks from mighty ducks i haven't watched that movie in the worst in 15 years yeah 15 yeah, years what are you point. doing that's worth revisiting Maybe every 13 year years okay i feel like I've, I've seen it once a long long time ago this might have been uh, a different era for you guys because i think i grew up with bombay and everything and um now look is it a great message that a coach who got a dui got a sentence to coach children no do we overlook it as children? Yeah, absolutely. That was the the penalty. Was a DUI was hey go coach some kids unsupervised. Go coach the kids. Yes, that's uh, that's what they did. Um, it was a different time, different era. But yeah, I don't know. There was a reason I was going all over the place with this. Why was I doing that? What was I saying before that? I don't know. It's the, too... the Preds getting into. Oh, the Preds. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. So we're we're diving in. We're diving in on uh, the catfish. We're diving in on on Preds. We're gonna go to a game uh this fall but yeah it's time i have an opening in nhl like with the thrashers being gone forever the flames probably never coming back like i don't think atlanta's ever getting another nhl team so i need to fill the void i need to get my hockey fixed so we're gonna we're gonna invest in the preds so they play tonight against the kraken the new kraken yep espn i believe yeah there we go i have it dvr because i will be at Carnes oak ridge with Ethan Stone. Yes, sir. Go Beavers. No, that's that's enough. I yeah, that's I enough. That's enough. It's the battle of our alma mater. Oh man, that's enough. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But no, it's gonna be fun because uh Oak Ridge can't do anything offensively. So we'll see what happens and great running back to watch. I'm excited about that. And uh yeah, thank you as always, guys, and I will talk to you very soon. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.